Here's a look back to Dr. Mel Hauser's interview in episodes 99 to 103. So I can't tell you how often it is that someone comes in with 40 diagnoses and they feel so broken because clearly I must be broken if there's 40 things wrong with me. And I say, oh, no, you don't have 40 things wrong with you. You have one thing. It's called all the things. Oh, and by the way, let's talk about your brain. That's how those conversations tend to go. What gave me the sense of urgency is that shortly after I got my autism diagnosis, I learned a statistic that the average life expectancy for an autistic person is 36 to 54 years of age. I was 37, not dying from autism, dying from premature cardiovascular disease and suicide. Wow. So to me, that's so messed up. That's so messed up that like the healthcare system doesn't even, I don't think people even know that. Even doctors who take care of autistic people don't know that. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz, author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia. I am a pediatrician, an internal medicine doctor that's a specialist in taking care of non-operative management of adults, as well as a lifestyle medicine doctor and a clinical lipidologist. I've been in practice for over 25 years and I'm trying to help you walk through this very challenging and frustrating problem of fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia-related problems with the hope of conquering and even reversing fibromyalgia to those of healthy individuals. Today I'm going to start by walking walking together of a typical patient that might present to my clinic. She has symptoms of general pain, fatigue, and brain fog. Her name is Jennifer, she's a 33-year-old woman, and she's been to doctors for several years with diffuse body pain. Going back to high school, she had some menstrual pain that was a lot more than her peers and was getting fairly frequent headaches that progressed to migraines over time. It varied and seemed to get better in the summer when she was more physically active and worsened when it was in the winter. She had been to numerous physicians over the last couple years as her symptoms crescendo and it, and it went from just painful periods and periodic migraines and headaches to more diffuse body pain. She had pain in her neck, in her back, and her shoulders. She had pain in her legs and her hips and was hurting all over. She reported joint pain as well. She also had profound fatigue and a lot of just brain fog, hard time focusing, concentrating, and a very high level of frustration. Doctors in the past had done numerous tests. They checked a C-reactive protein. They've checked a SED rate, all which were normal. They checked her thyroid several times. She had a complete blood count done, which were also normal. She also had imaging done of her neck and her back and was told she had some degenerative arthritis and some disc bulge, which may be causing the pain. But after different attempts on treatments, none seemed to get better with Tylenol or Motrin. She'd seen more than one specialist over the years as well and still wasn't getting any specific answers. And the best they could come up with is osteoarthritis throughout her body. Now, unfortunately, her case is all too common. You get seen for diffuse body pain. 
which should alert the doctor to the possible diagnosis of fibromyalgia. What's key to her case? She's relatively young. She's 37. It's very unlikely that somebody's going to have diffuse wear and tear arthritis. If you look at x-rays, there may be some mild arthritis that occurs in some joints, but nothing that's severe that you'd expect to have some structural damage causing significant diffuse body pain. She didn't have any inflammatory labs that suggest rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis. Her physical exam also didn't endorse any specific swelling over her hands or wrists, elbows, or joints, and she had no history of any specific swelling. It was more general body aches and general joint pain with burning and aching and a feeling of swelling, but never actually had any specific swelling documented over any specific joints. She also had profound fatigue, but had normal workup with clear lung exam, normal cardiac exam and history. She didn't have any evidence of anemia that would support that. So the doctor ruled out those problems. All of these structural and inflammatory conditions were found to be normal. She was given just a generic diagnosis of osteoarthritis, which was not very satisfying, and she didn't respond, as I said before, to Tylenol and Motrin. And she just was learning to just have to live with it. So what key things in her case should have brought some attention? One, she had had pain going on for years. If this was some kind of diffuse condition, such as cancer that could be metastatic to multiple bones in the body, such as from breast cancer, you'd expect that she would have had abnormal physical exam findings and also had significant weight loss. She didn't have any weight loss and actually had gained quite a bit of weight since she had been in high school, over 60 pounds, which was also very frustrating for her. Gradually over time, it wasn't one specific time, but it was a gradual weight gain over time. So what would I do if I saw her? I take this detailed history. I do a very careful exam to confirm there's no abnormal findings. And with our electronic medical systems, I would have been able to look ahead of time at her chart and review all these labs. I wouldn't have to repeat labs if they were just done not too long ago. It would be unnecessary and unfruitful. So then I'd be strongly thinking that she might have fibromyalgia. So how do you make the diagnosis? We talked about a general history, looking at the whole differential diagnosis, all the different diagnoses that could be going on. But none of those other more serious or structural life-threatening problems were found, and she's left with diffuse pain. So there are criteria, the most updated criteria from the American College of Rheumatology were revised in 2016. And in general, you need to have diffuse body pain and at least four out of five regional areas. And what do we mean by regional areas? There's the left upper region, right upper region, the axial region, left lower region, and right lower region. What is the left upper region? That is the left shoulder, left upper arm, and left lower arm, and also the left jaw. The right upper region, of course, is the right jaw, the right shoulder, and the right upper arm, and right lower arm. The axial region, think of that as the spine, that's the neck, 
upper back, lower back, as well as chest and abdomen. Both the jaw pain and the chest and abdomen pain are an asterisk is attached to them because as far as meeting the criteria for the diagnosis is not necessarily um, additional criteria. It's one of these that can help assess the overall severity and intensity, but for making the diagnosis isn't necessarily included. Left lower region is the hip, buttock, trochanter area, which is kind of just, I like to think of it from the, the butt to the outside of the hip. Right lower region, is, and then there's also the left upper leg and left lower leg. Then there's the right lower region, of course, it's the right hip, right upper leg, right lower leg. So when you count up the widespread pain index, you count how many different areas you have. So to make the diagnosis, you should have at least four areas and at least four different regions. So you could have somebody with left shoulder pain, right lower arm pain, left upper leg pain, and right buttock and trochanteric or hip pain. And then the next set of criteria is called the symptom severity score. That takes into account fatigue, waking unrefreshed, and cognitive symptoms. So the question would be, for each of the three symptoms above, indicate level of severity over the past week using the following scale. So fatigue, zero with no problem. One is for slight or mild problems, generally mild or intermittent. Two is for moderate, that's considerable problems, often present and or at a moderate level. Three is severe, it's pervasive, it's continuous, it's life disturbing in the problem. So going through the score, you'd say, well, in, what's your fatigue level? Her score was three. It was every day and it really was disrupting her life. Waking unrefreshed, just didn't feel rested in the morning. And then cognitive symptoms. She just didn't have the motivation. She didn't feel like she had clear thinking, hard time organizing and planning, get distracted easily. And then there is an, an additional symptom severity score is the sum of the severity scores of the three symptoms. And then that usually ranks between 0 and 12. So we add up all of the criteria. And in her, she had multiple areas in her body. She had actually diffuse pain. She hurt everywhere. And she had severe fatigue, waking on refresh, and cognitive symptoms. Overall, this was highly consistent with having severe fibromyalgia. Now, in making the diagnosis, the symptoms have to generally be present for at least three months and not ex um, excluding having other coexisting issues. So, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, you can also have fibromyalgia, and it's actually quite common. You can have irritable bowel syndrome, and you can have fibromyalgia. You can have migraines and irritable bowel syndrome, as well as fibromyalgia. So having one condition doesn't necessarily exclude the other. You can have diabetes and also have fibromyalgia. So these are not uncommon that they coexist and have a unique separate clinical identity from them with a hypersensitive central nervous system within the brain and spinal cord that perceives stimuli that is indicating that there's something damaging or structurally harming your body, 
but there's nothing that is causing any structural damage. But it feels in the moment like it's real pain. You can have terrible chest pain, and it feels like you might be having a heart attack. But you don't have a heart attack. It's worse when you're at rest and better when you're moving around, as we've talked about on previous podcasts. Taken together, these indicate, as I said before, she has severe fibromyalgia. She meets the criteria. And now we can start the conversation on what this is and start moving forward looking towards treatment. We'll also look for other coexisting medical conditions that can make fibromyalgia worse, which we will talk about in upcoming podcasts. We'll look at different rating scales that I typically will assess as much as I can and within the first visit or subsequent visits. I typically will get a fibromyalgia impact questionnaire revised, done, so I can get a baseline of how severe her pain is, how severe her fatigue is, how severe her overall functioning is in everyday activities. It is much more comprehensive than just asking me, tell me how bad your pain is. It's very helpful. And then over time when we do interventions and treatments, we can help assess if there is improvement. A lot of times in medicine, we expect 100% or nearly 100% improvement. If somebody has a urinary tract infection, when they get treated with appropriate antibiotics, they expect their urinary tract symptoms to get better. If somebody has a torn meniscus that's causing their knee to be locked and you can't straighten out your knee, we hope that through surgery the meniscus is repaired and the knee doesn't get locked up. Similar with things like an appendicitis. That's what we're used to. But with fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia-related conditions, there's also often partial improvements, incremental improvements. And if you go from a fibromyalgia impact questionnaire score of 82, which is in the severe range, and come back four weeks later and it's dropped to 67, that's still in a high range, but there's some improvement. Hey, before you rated this as an 8, and now it's come down. We'll get into detail into that in upcoming podcasts, but I just wanted to give the structure. You can Look this up online at the American College of Rheumatology 2016 Fibromyalgia Criteria. You can use those to help fill those out and as a guide to help your doctor in caring for you, bringing that in to the office visit. And this score can also be used to assess progress over time as well as a one tool in addition to just taking a careful clinical history. Having taken care of fibromyalgia patients for a long time, I've learned so much just in what they've shared in their experiences, their histories and their stories that's helped me help identify this pattern. But a couple things to review is when a patient says, I hurt all over and I've been hurting for a long time. This isn't just I caught COVID and in the last two weeks I felt really run down or achy or I've had influenza or I've picked up mononucleosis and I have fever and I feel run down. That's a short-term thing, but You should recover within three months from infectious problems. You should have some other obvious history that suggests potential cancer or other rare things such as weight loss, etc. And you should do a very careful exam. In some ways, when I look at this, I say this is a 
relatively easy diagnosis to make if you know what to look for and you need to be looking for it. If a doctor isn't comfortable in making the diagnosis, and if they don't know a lot about it, they might not be asking the right questions. I've had more than one patient over the years say, Dr. Lenz, you ask questions that other doctors don't ask. And I think it's because you need, like a medical detective, know what you're looking for in order to find a diagnosis like fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia-related issues and be a very careful detective to see if there are these other more life-threatening, serious conditions that we can help. Not to minimize to say fibromyalgia isn't serious, but that anxiety of, oh, I don't have this severe rheumatoid arthritis that's going to erode away at my joints. I don't have this Lyme disease that is going to cause all of these other terrible problems. I don't have this thyroid problem that's only picked up on a special test, that I do have this real condition called fibromyalgia. One last point, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Many of you may be wondering, what about tender points or trigger points? Why didn't you mention those? Those were in the original criteria many years ago, but they were found to be not always helpful in practice, you know, being able to apply the same amount of pressure. And it also excluded a lot of patients who may not have had trender points. Thanks for joining me today. I hope this has been a benefit to you. If it has, please leave a five-star rating. Share this with people you know on social media that helps spread the word and give information and hope to not just learning to live with, but to actually conquer fibromyalgia. Now remember, I am a physician, but I am not your physician. This is a podcast for educational purposes only and should use as a starting point on your journey 